I'm Molly, and you're listening to Zetus Lapidus, a Mammoth Club original podcast. Hey, friends, and welcome to Zetus Lapidus. I'm Alan. I'm Molly. And I'm Max. And this is the podcast where we watch every Disney Channel original movie or DCOM in chronological order, uh, and then spend far too much time analyzing them. And this week is a little bit of a special episode for us, and we're going to be reviewing The Color of Friendship. Yes, this is, I, I think in the 90s, we would call this a very special episode of Zetus Lapidus. Yes, that we would An get that. afternoon special. We get that somber, and well, I shouldn't say somber, we just get that sort of softer See, intro. It's certainly going to be a more serious episode than we've had in the past, because this is a very serious topic covered in this movie certainly not an up up and away i think is what no. you're saying oh, no yeah or uh, horse sense a, <laughs> yeah, a we're not, smart we're not. house no come on horse sense was a very serious episode Molly. what are you talking <laughs> that's about that's true i forgot about spots the horse oh, that's right cheyenne Cinnamon. yeah <laughs> yeah uh well yeah it's definitely not a you lucky dog sort of vibe <laughs> in the color of friendship um some of the basic show info for this is a white south african girl finds herself in a difficult situation when you when she is sent to spend a term with a black family in America. Uh, it should be noted that this is based on a real story. What a weird summary. Yeah. Can I just say, like, yeah. the white South African girl finds herself in a difficult... Like, I don't... Okay, I don't deny that that's true, mm -hmm. but... That is a weird spin on this plot yes. summary, isn't it? Like, yeah, because it focuses on Mari, the white character, when right. the whole point is that the white and the black character see past their differences to become friends. Like, there's no mention of Piper at all, and like, right. it also doesn't address that it's a period movie. Which, by the way, I didn't realize before watching this that this is a period movie. It doesn't mention apartheid at all it doesn't mean like it doesn't mention any of the core <laughs> themes of this film like are you okay yeah i thought max was saying the film doesn't cover no, 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 no. The, the, the summary and i was like did you watch the movie <laughs> <laughs> you know molly i did i did watch no, the that, movie. Is, that I, is why I we're now here i understand you're saying the summary doesn't mention the fact that this is yeah based, i just watched your brain based out. on a true story <laughs> i'm like, sorry i went to phony. bed at five o'clock a.m. the last two nights so i Good don't morning. have a brain right now <laughs> Good morning. thank you i think that that's just a wild summary i just had to comment on like that's a crazy that's a crazy summary when i was so when i was bringing everything over from imdb which is where i get these summaries i read it a couple times and i was like this just doesn't feel like it's given us any part of like it's it's no. isolating so such strange parts of the story i'm like you're missing the point like a summary needs to tell me especially in this which is a period piece it is based on a true story give me some of that like give me some yeah. of the weight that the film has some interesting trivia about this film it won an emmy for outstanding children's program as it should have i think mm -hmm. and also a humanitas award for writer paul i'm gonna butcher his last name but paul callis q-u-a-l-l-e-s kales callis I'm so sorry, Paul, if you're listening. I'm sure he is. Yeah, I'm well, sure he, Paul, the avid listener, yes, is true. probably quite offended. He but is, you know what, yeah. Paul, send us a DM. Yeah. Good, work, good us work on the script, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well it, done. Well done on the Humanitas Award. So uh, really a, a highly rewarded and touted film, especially for like, when you think of DCOMs, I, I don't necessarily any think any of us would say, yeah, this DCOM is going to be incredibly serious and dive into these serious issues. But this really sort of rewrote that literally rewrote that script 
released February 5th of 2000. Did either of you watch this as a kid? I did. I actively remember watching this movie. I remember that it came out in February, so Black History Month. I remember watching it. I remember watching it in school, actually, a couple Hmm. times. Wait, really? Yeah. I remember watching it, and I remember watching it at home, and we're going to get into this, and this is going to sound like dramatic, probably, but I actually think this movie made me a better person. Like, Hmm. to Hmm. be shown something like this on a, not in a school way, because I know I just said I watched it at school, but to learn the lessons that this movie teaches you from watching TV, I feel like it hits better. It's kind of like when your friends tell you to do something versus your parents tell you to do something. Even if it's the same thing, you listen more if it's coming from your friends. And I felt like this movie kind of was that way. Of course, we had Black History Month education in school and we had all these things and you learn that stuff. But watching it, watching the lessons taught in this film through the eyes of two kids that were close to my age in this very real kind of way, I literally think I'm a better human being because I watched this movie. Hmm. Uh, I didn't watch this at all. I I didn't watch this in uh, when I was growing up. I I didn't read about it in preparation for this podcast. I just dove in and, and watched it and gotta say I was shocked at certain parts of this movie. Mm -hmm. I, like my brain is having a hard time with like the idea that this movie came out after up, up and away in terms of just like tone and like audience. Like it feels like a pretty adult. I mean, obviously it's, it's stuff that, you know, everyone benefits, but it feels pretty adult for like a, a, a kid demographic. The, as soon as I realized it was a period piece, I was like, man, the, I think you're really asking a lot of kids to watch this movie to like to to put themselves back in the 70s when they definitely weren't alive to understand geopolitical conflict to like dive into racial tensions to like I I think that this movie asks a lot of its audience and I sort of wonder who the demo is but um and especially juxtaposed against other decoms that we've been watching it is it is a huge tone shift but yeah I, I mean I you know, no spoilers on a rating, but I enjoyed it. And, and I, I, I just walked away being like, man, this is unlike any decom we've watched. Like on no level does this feel similar to the zeitgeist of, of decoms that I have in my head now. Uh, absolutely correct. I, same as you, Max, had never seen The Color of Friendship prior to this viewing. I think Molly, you and I had talked about The Color of Friendship in passing, uh, but I had not watched it. I sort of loosely knew based from our conversations loosely knew the some of the tensions and conflict in the film but certainly not to the degree um, of somebody who had watched it and now having viewed it uh, it is as you said such a departure from what we have in sort of the standard decom approach in every way shape and form but I think that's as a standalone decom that is a period piece that we've seen right now this was done incredibly well I do think it spoke directly to kids and uh, every single bit of the conflict. It was just, it was all of the messaging was pointed right at them. I'm not saying there's no value in watching it as an adult. Certainly I, it was, it was a great watch for me now, but I think if I were to put myself in, in the shoes of, you know, a 14 year old watching this, like this is hit, this is goes for me at that age. Right. I think that's, it's intended to go for kids in that bracket. And it's a very raw and real approach. Again, not going to do do spoilers of my review, but I really enjoyed it. It 
you certainly had to you certainly have to sort of disconnect yourself from from what decoms are normally do you think do you think yeah. 14 is the age like I, I think that's what i'm getting at is that i don't think that the person that watches up up and away and enjoys it is the same age demo that no. watches this yeah. movie and takes some I, I think that this movie is too adult for kids that are watching up up and away and loving it like I, I don't, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I, I would be curious what the demo range was and obviously I'm not a kid, but I think that if I'm nine, I watch up, up and away and I'm like, cool superheroes. Right. But if I watch this movie and I'm nine, there's no shot that I'm like, oh, I understand geopolitical conflict and, and racial politics. I was 11 and I loved it. I don't know that I understood all of the geopolitical conflict but i certainly understood the white and black conflict oh for sure for sure and i for sure. think i took that away it feels like there are levels to this right like kind of what you're saying like you have i think to your point max i i fully agree that like an eight or nine year old who's enjoying something like a brink or like an up up and away is is not is likely not going to get a lot of the more intricate messaging of the film when you're talking about like they're going to get that there's an exchange student. They're going to get that there's a conflict that is racially driven, but I don't think they're going to necessarily understand like apartheid, right? Mm -hmm. I, that, that to me seems to hit the, the high school age demo a little bit better. So it's almost like they're casting this incredibly wide. I mean, it's just the subject matter as it is, right? It casts this very wide net. I remember understanding there was conflict between them because of race. I remember under, I remember vividly understanding the treatment of, blacks was different in South Africa versus the United States because of the scene with the waiter and the bus boy in the two different plays out there. I didn't understand the, uh, the apartheid Stephen Biko police stuff. So actually watching it this time, I was like, Oh shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's heavy. But I still liked it. I also, I don't know if I was a weird kid, probably for many reasons, but I always liked history pieces. So that mm. might've been another thing. Like, I was very into certain historical events. I was very into learning about like the Titanic. The Titanic. You were into the Titanic. I was, very <laughs> into I was Titanic. like, why are we, why are we glossing over? I was very I've into Titanic. I was also weirdly into the Holocaust and the Oregon Trail. And so I think you know if you're into that stuff as a kid and you're watching stuff about those things, this kind of kind of lumps in with like those historical conflict pieces yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and that's not to uh, nothing i mean i don't mean to take away value from this film obviously like i think whatever theme you attach to at whatever age is good i just think it's fascinating to think about where it fits sort of in the collection of decoms that that i think outside of this all feel like they're sort of targeting the same audience right. you know what i mean like i think that all the movies we've watched up to this point i'm like yeah the same the same age kids can watch that all of those movies and dig them and then this one just sort of comes out of nowhere and and has some very adult themes to it that we haven't seen so i sort of think it's interesting to think about what who they were really targeting and hey man if if seven-year-olds eight-year-olds nine-year-olds are walking away and being like treat treat other people better and be kind like that's great they don't need to get all the like all the political themes but this is the first decom i'm seeing that i think has those levels to it that go to like a 15 16 17 year old kid right that mm -hmm. that I mean, shit adults i think in a lot of oh for sure for sure yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I, it's nuanced i think this is one of those things where and again if we look at sort of the rolodex of decoms I, I almost wonder how if this is if this is Disney saying like let's test the waters of not only a period piece but one that has 
incredibly nuanced messaging and try that out. Like, I, again, I, I look, I've not gotten super familiar with the Rolodex. It's very much sort of part of the, the joy of this podcast for me is week to week uncovering these these treasures that are decoms. Well, I say treasures. Some of them are you lucky dog and don't look under the bed. But this, this truly is 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 that instance like, oh, my gosh, this is a gym of a decom. And I almost wonder if this is Disney testing the waters with that. I don't know specific specifics on the marketing, but I vaguely remember them marketing this as something to watch with your parents. Mm. I remember because, that would make sense. I remember because it was Black History Month. I I vaguely remember them targeting this as like something the whole family could watch mm. and learn and discuss. And if I'm remembering correctly, there was other programming going on that month to mm. kind of enhance this as a learning. Interesting. I mean, that makes program. a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, not to do too big of a jump cut, but let's talk about some of the other things that were happening on February 5th of 2000, shall we? To put ourselves in the in the time. The top song of this week was I Knew I Loved You by Savage Garden. I knew I loved you before I met you. Those are the nicest. We those were the words for yeah. sure. I, Certainly not. It's I good. I, what I like about you, Molly, is how many words you know. You know? Uh-huh. It's really uh-huh. quite impressive. I think that might be it. Listen. I think that might be all the words I know. And, and I do know that Savage Garden has uh, performed at Epcot. So they're oh, doing really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Very successful to this day. Listen. I mean, they're performing on a Disney stage. They are. <laughs> I knew I dreamed you Big ticket. Oh, she looked them up. She looked them up. <laughs> Listen, let me be clear. Yeah. There is this thing that happens when Molly sings songs that she knows like two or three words to, and I call it Molly lyrics. And it is, she will begin to either grunt or moan <laughs> just like random of, syllables <laughs> throughout well, the entire Here's the thing. I'm song. looking at this, at these lyrics, and I got to say, most of the song is just the phrase i knew i loved you before i met you like that sure. is so that's on repeat yeah, yeah i did i <laughs> did cover like 40 percent of the song just well by done. knowing that one line well done yeah. well done they keep they kept their 40 percent is all i expect of you molly so that's good <laughs> same same honestly oh yeah man. uh the top grossing film at the time was scream three and it was not even close wow wow uh it was following to scream three yeah, yeah. February? Yeah, in February. I'm telling you, this is the whole thing I said about Halloween movies. <laughs> that is true. That is true. You're this like, is literally what I was talking about. You're like, they do not come out of Halloween, and you are. Horror movies are not Halloween movies. This is a Valentine's Day movie. Scream 3, the Valentine's romance. Day special. Nothing says romance like That's movies. right. Oh, well, nothing God. says romance like taking your date to a horror movie. Well, mm. then they have to cuddle with you if they're scared. I'm saying. <laughs> Subliminal. They, you get it. They were followed by, like, a long way down, Stuart Little and the Green Mile. It was a wild oh, I time. Stuart I remember Stuart Little. I mean, I also remember the Green yeah, Mile, but I, I, I think I went to see Stuart yeah. Little. I don't think I saw the Green Mile in theaters at age yeah. 11. So. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Why not? <laughs> but, but, I mean, a great film, you yeah. know? Um, some of the top news and pop culture of the time. Y'all, if today was February 5th of 2000, Yesterday would have been February 4th. Obviously, that math that isn't is that. how date works. That is yeah. how days work. Uh, I'm just saying that for Molly because Molly's just do a time okay, zone. So I, I, I understand dates. I, I don't understand time zones, but I understand the calendar <laughs> thing. A calendar yeah. she can handle. I got that one. But yesterday, February 4th, 2000, was when the original Sims game was released. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. The original. I had the OG Sims. Mm -hmm. Released February 4th of 2000 is when the Sims multiverse started. Actually, I think I had a demo of the original Sims. I don't think I had the actual. I think I had like came in a, you know. Floppy. Some kind of. No, it was a CD-ROM. That like pack they'd leave for you for mm-hmm. like trying yeah, these yeah. different things like all those american online discs you know the mm-hmm. ones mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that crinkly ass plastic 50 hours for free oh yeah and this week the final new peanuts comic strip was published ending its run that started on october 2nd of 1950 damn that's crazy 50 years now nah, well not quite 49 years and Four months. Some, Some amount of months. Some, yeah. Uh, yeah, four months. Some change. But that's crazy. I, I read that. I was like, that's bonkers. That's a wild run. It, it, it kind of makes you be like, you couldn't stick it out for eight more months? Seriously. <laughs> you, can, you know what that You know what that? Can do eight more months? Come on, guys. So, yeah, those are just some of the, the things that had occurred or in, on February 5th of 2000. With that, buckle up, because we're going to take a deep dive into one of the most serious uh, films that we've seen to date. Well, you know, I mean, wh- what does the internet need more than three white people talking about racial tension? Let's, yep. let's, so I'm ready to get into it. If there's it. anyone qualified to do this, it's us. Let, oh, me, yeah, let, yeah. Me, let, me, let me actually then that. Three southern raised white people talking about racial God. tension. It, oh. Oh. At least I know about unconscious bias, everybody. I'm, you know, I'm ready True. to talk about it. Let's dive into the color of friendship. It opens when we are introduced to uh, Piper and her family. Yes. I want to say something right off the bat. Let's do it. They open it and let us know it's 1977. Yes. They do. It's important. It's on the screen. And was a surprise to me. (laughs) (laughs) I was not expecting that. I literally was like, wait, what? (laughs) I thought thought that they were going to do like an intro and then cut to present day. Nope. And then the whole movie was 77, and I was surprised. <laughs> I, what I like, though, is they frequently uh, remind you it's 1977 in case you forget by doing, like, a fashion montage or <laughs> right. playing music from the 70s. Because they're like, yeah. in case you forgot, it's 1977 because we're listening to funk and those people have on bell bottoms. I can't decide if I think this movie—I mean, obviously, it's based on a true story and, and whatnot— I, I think I think this movie could have been written in just as good a way and made it modern. And I think it would have been more approachable because I again, I think that the stuff that like makes it need to be set in 77 is not stuff that your core demo is taking away. But but obviously this is set on a on a true story. And so mm-hmm. it, interesting. So we are introduced to Piper and immediately what we get from her is she desperately wants to enroll in the exchange student program. She desperately wants it to be uh, from Africa. And this is Piper Dellum. So this is the Dellum family um, based in D.C. where the father, it's uh, Congressman Dellum. It works for the U.S. government. So you get a lot of this. I don't want to say it's exposition because they actually do a pretty darn good job of just like dropping a lot of this stuff off really naturally for you as an audience member. What they drive home over and over and over and over and over again is Piper wants to have an exchange student. She needs to get enrolled. And that entire scene with the Dellum family ends with the family deciding, you know, what, we're going to enroll. I think it'd be a very good thing for us. Let's do this. Let, let, let's get this started. And, and we want to have an exchange student from Africa come and stay with us for four months. I got to say, 
right off the bat and i assume it's because this is based off a true story and these are real people these characters are incredibly well developed especially compared to other decoms oh yeah for sure like and i again i assume that's because they were real people but like dad for example we learn a lot about congressman Dellum very quickly and it's not just surfacey like he's the dad it's like you learn immediately where he stands on political issues you know the relationship he has with the mom you know the relationship he has with the kids like i feel like every character in this movie even the ones we don't see that much like mari's family are very well developed it's really important and pivotal for the audience the more i sit and sort of think about this that we have a lot of this established relationship for the Dellum family very quickly because that's where we're going to be spending the majority of our time. We're spending all of our time with the Dellum family, so it's really important to understand their family dynamic very quickly and the roles that each of them are playing. And you immediately, like you mentioned, Molly, you, you get Ron Dellum, who's, who's the father. You understand that he, through his position on issues, is very outspoken against apartheid in South Africa, and that gets introduced right off the bat. I think it's one of the first things that he talks about with Piper is he's prepping for a speech for the following day. And the speech is to condemn apartheid in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And that's the conversation that happens immediately before he says, yes, we're going to have an exchange student from, from Africa. I think that'd be really good for you, Piper, to be able to have this experience, right? It's, it drops you in this moment in time. And I remember thinking, you know, again, having not seen this as a child and knowing 1977, I just remember saying out loud, like, oh, this is, this is an apartheid movie. Oh, here we are. Right. Wow. Because again, I had sort of none of the racial conflict, but I didn't necessarily understand the context and that, that puts you in that moment from there. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree that like, even without doing any research or even without doing anything, like I, I had picked up that the themes of this movie were, were racial tension, but I also, again, I didn't know it was a period piece and I certainly didn't know it was based around apartheid. So it does do a good job of dropping you in and, and sort of making you aware of the issue immediately. It also gives you the construct of the movie from the beginning and why this tension is going to exist, which is th we're going to have an exchange student. And like that is instantly the skeleton for the film. Here is the, the catalyst for everything that will come next is we're going to have an exchange student. And as they're having this conversation and Piper is sort of asking and, and wanting um, to bring somebody to their home and to learn more about Africa, it cuts to the other side uh, in South Africa where you cut to uh, Mari who's going to be um, the exchange student ultimately and her family where she's having the same conversation I want to go to America I want to be an exchange student I want to go have this experience and she's trying to convince her dad in a very parallel thing of let me go do this thing instead of let this person come to us it's let me go be that person and she's having a parallel conversation with Piper about this experience uh, but obviously with assumptions being made that are about to be sort of like put on the table. 100%. The Dellums family and Piper assumes that she's going to have a black exchange student coming from Africa. And Mari assumes that she's going to go visit a white family in America. So it's, yeah. it's like, they're also very vocal about that. I know that Piper is, is vocal about like, I'm excited to bring a black member of, uh, of mm. like, 
my uh, I don't remember how she words it, but basically she's excited about a black exchange student coming from Africa. I don't know if Mari explicitly says I'm going to go stay with a white family, but I think that there are implicit assumptions being made for sure. I don't know that she vocalizes I'm ready to go stay with a white person because I don't think she would. Right. I think that she is making assumptions based on the world that she lives in and the environment she lives in. And there wouldn't be another world for Mari. Like the only world is one where she would stay in a white family because she would never stay with a black family in South Africa in 1977. Well, I, jumping ahead just a little bit when she's talking to their housekeeper who is black, she says the host family is a congressman. So mm-hmm. I think the idea that there could be a black congressman doesn't even come on her register like her right well they don't yeah she doesn't know who the host family is when she's begging daddy to to let her go but you're right like as soon as she finds out again more bias and more assumptions are being made um i have uh, that engagement with um flora was very was very funny to me but i think yeah we're uh the dinner scene where she's talking to dad is is wild as well again for just setting up like racial tensions in south africa yeah there's two things besides mari's begging of her family to let her go there's two main things that happen at this scene that are going to carry over later the first is that we learn that her father is a policeman and that he is just downright giddy that what he refers to as a black troublemaker uh, Stephen Biko has been arrested and we are going to learn more about Stephen Biko and that's going to become a crucial plot point. We immediately understand how serious this movie's going to be compared to other DCOMs because there is Ooh. a black busboy at the restaurant. It's a nice restaurant. Something happens. He gets bumped into something, whatever. He drops the bucket of dishes and and leftovers that he's carrying and some of it splatters onto an older white gentleman's pants and this young black man is then kicked and referred to as a racial slur and and they don't say racial slur they say the word and it's like oh okay that is what this movie is immediately a weight is placed on this right yeah all all of the pretense of this being a standard decom is dropped in that moment right you you could have you i feel as if you sense it coming throughout the film to this point now granted we're we're what 10 minutes into this movie maybe not even yeah but, but all pretense of it being sort of your standard decom disappears okay great you're in it you're like you are in it and you're in the driver's seat and you're buckled in and, and not that it matters, but the word used is one I had not heard as a child yet. There will be other language used, but it was like, you knew it was a bad word, and you knew the way this person was treated was horrible. It didn't matter if that was the first time you ever experienced something like that. If you'd seen that over and over again, you are immediately, you feel horrible. Yeah. Or you should. <laughs> it's putting you in the time especially in South Africa in 1977, is how this really heavy moment happens. And I think the the filmmakers did an excellent job of letting the audience stew in it for a moment. And then you had, you had maybe two or three beats of just stewing in this on discomfort as an audience member. Because if you're watching it, you know that's not right. And what got me is how casually normalcy just picked back up. Yeah. And that, 
it was brilliant in terms of how they directed this movie to have it be like, let's have the audience sit in this for a minute to understand how bad this is. Okay, great. Now we're going to pick back up like nothing happened because that's what would have happened in 1977 in this restaurant in South Africa. I, I think, yeah, what was, what was effective to me was that most of this movie doesn't take place in South Africa, right? Mm -hmm. Most of this movie takes place in Washington, DC. Most of this movie takes place in America. And, and I have some thoughts about the way that's presented as well, but, but they need for this movie to work. They need to establish how different the environment of South Africa is, and they need to do that in about three minutes because you're not going to spend much time there. You're going to spend very little time. You need to establish where Mari's coming from quickly. And they do a, a great job, to your point, Alan, of across like three different beats in a pretty short scene, the way they talk about Stephen Biko, the racial slur that is used, the physical violence that is used and the return to normalcy all happen in about three minutes. And you walk away going like, Oh, mm -hmm. that's not bias. That's racism. Like it, and like overt explicit. And, and it does a good job in a very short amount of time of being like, here's a bunch of different ways that manifests. And what I would say is going back to our earlier conversation about this movie has layers and levels based on who's watching it. As a kid, I didn't know or understand anything about Stephen Biko and the right. police conflict, but I understood that that man was physically kicked and called something that was clearly horrible. So yeah, Anybody watching that scene from a child to an adult immediately has that feeling of, oh, this is bad. This is a bad place and bad things are happening. And yeah. so they move. You, you stay in South Africa for a bit because the ultimate goal of, of, of spending time there is for you to try to understand. You're, you're also getting differences in family dynamics. You have the Dellum family dynamic that you get very early on. And you're also getting the Bach family dynamic. And it is it's stark. It, it, from from my viewing, it is a very, very stark difference in how this family interacts. I'm just going to say it. Mari's dad's a dick. And I'm not even just referring to his blatant racism. Like, he is so mean to his children. So condescending. Mm. He is so condescending to his children. He is like, his daughter is afraid to ask him if she can go on this cultural exchange program, which I don't think you're supposed to like fear your parents in that way. So she asks her mom to do it for her. Then her dad's like, oh, basically like you're too scared. You'll never go. You'll okay. We'll send you, but you'll never make it. And like, She's telling him why she wants to go and how important this is to her. And he's basically like, oh, if I say yes, can I eat my dinner? Like, he's just so yeah, condescending and rude and unsupportive of his child. And that's like on top of him being blatantly racist. Right. It's it's a lot to unpack. And you also get the introduction of uh, Mari and Flora's relationship. Mm -hmm. And that looks close from the face from the outset it it seems as if they are they're close uh, but i but i even even as i say that it's almost hesitance right it feels like mari has this idea that they are close because they're actually friends and it's it, for me as i'm watching it as an adult i'm going yeah but that's also flora's job like flora's yeah. job is to be a housekeeper and to have a relationship with you all so it feels like a very one, 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 one way relationship in this instance. And that's, that is expanded on when Mari and Flora are having the conversation about 
once it's established that Mari is going to go to America, she's going to go to stay with the congressman, with the Delum family. And they said Delum family. And you see recognition from Flora. And Flora says, do you mean the Delum family? And Mari says, no, the Delum family. And no. Mari doesn't say no, the Delum family. I, I think, you know, I have my version of the script here, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I I often do mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. Uh, a separate script. Um, oh, yeah. In, in these DCOMs. And I think what Mari says Delums? No, dumbass. It's Delums. You absolute fucking idiot. I think yeah, like that is the, the way, like that's the way Mari talks to Flora. And it's then horrible. at the end of the movie is like, she's my best friend. I mean, she literally like you get this metaphor that gets set up about the weaver birds, right? Yep. And Flora's, you know, spinning this beautiful story about these birds that you know is is a metaphor that's going to come back later it's about birds that live together and they're of all these different colors and they they help each other and they they work together all for for making each other better and helping each other live better lives and you know they don't live in cages and they they live free and mari looks at flora at one point and says like people aren't birds flora like Ugh. you absolute moron people aren't birds but like she also says like some of the stuff you say is ridiculous like yeah, she <laughs> tells flora her story is stupid it's such a god it uh, it upset me so much the level of condescension it's, it's, that this yeah. 14 year old has i mean she's learned it from her dad it's yeah. you know it comes off you want to hate her but you have to also remember this is a learned trait and I mean, it, it makes it very easy to understand how oh, yeah. these things are learned because here's this 14 year old treating her housekeeper like absolute the way shit her dad treats her because that's how her dad speaks to people like. Yeah, but it is it is interesting. I mean, like I I took notice immediately of like, oh, wow, she is talking to her like she's the scum of the earth. And yeah, then oh, at yeah. the end and then at the end of the movie is like she's my best friend. She's my like my closest friend, and and Piper calls her out on media. I know I'm jumping ahead, but Piper's like, she's not your friend. She's your servant. Like <laughs> yeah. that that's not a friend. Like <laughs> yeah. On the other side of the world, at this point, we have Piper and her brothers, who I love. Her her younger brothers, they kind of pop in and out and have funny. They are the moments of levity. Like yeah. the the brothers are are there to let you like come up for air. You know, in a, in a pretty heavy movie, the brothers come in and say some crazy shit and let you. <laughs> like come up for air every once in a while which is a which is needed and nice. welcomed yeah. yeah yeah she says like they say what part of africa is she coming from and uh piper says i'm not sure but it's in south africa and one of the brothers says something like where's that and the other one's like below north africa <laughs> and it made me laugh and it also made me think of this story that i have to just tell real quick about my eighth grade geography class oh god <laughs> okay. because every week um one of us would be assigned or every day i don't remember somebody would be assigned to bring in a news headline from a country on whatever continent we were covering because we went mm. continent by continent so we were on africa and my friend brought in an article about some i think lions um in in africa and my geography teacher said which country is it? And she said, I'm not sure. It just says somewhere in the south of Africa. 
And my geography teacher was like, <laughs> South Africa. <laughs> yeah. So so clearly things were going well for my peer yeah, it was in a good geography, geography class. Yeah, it was uh, a good geography lesson. <laughs> yeah. 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 They, yeah learned, they learned many things that day, not just about the lions, but also a whole country. Yeah. I also learned some geography in this movie because they also, they have a friend whose family is uh, seemingly from Nigeria. Right. And... So they're asking her, Piper and her brothers are with this friend. And um, I think her brothers are like, tell us about, like, what can we expect? Like, tell us about Africa. And he says, I, listen, I'm from Nigeria. I'm not from South Africa. Like, so, like, Nigeria and South Africa might as well be as far from like DC to London. And I got a little curious. So I looked. Huh. Nigeria to South Africa is approximately 2,900 miles. Huh. DC to London is approximately 3,700 miles. So it's not wildly He's different. really not That's that far not off. That's not that yeah. far off. Yeah. And by the way, that character's name is Daniel. Daniel. Thank Daniel. you. Daniel. He's played by... Oh, God. Ahmed <laughs> Snower. <laughs> Jesus! So early. I did this! <laughs> and uh, what you might not Max. know, but what you're going to be delighted by what I'm about to tell you is that he plays the lost boy No-Nap in Hook. Ooh, I am delighted by that. I thought you might be. Um, yeah. If you're a Hook fan, you probably know that the title character is played by Dustin Hoffman. He plays Captain Hook. Mm-hmm. Sure. And Dustin Hoffman was in one of the Meet the Parents spinoffs called <laughs> mm-hmm. Little Fockers. Yep. He plays, yeah, he was. He plays Bernie Fokker. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, also in that film, playing Kevin Raleigh, was Owen Wilson. Did you guys know that? Now, we've used Owen Wilson a few times before, Owen I think. Wilson <laughs> is in a lot of shit, okay? He is. Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, That's he's, true. He's in Cars. We're going to keep going he's, he's in uh, Loki. And he's in a he little in film. Loki. That's true called armageddon where Mm -hmm. he plays oscar alongside main character harry stamper bruce willis now what i didn't realize about bruce willis is that he plays himself in the lego movie 2 the second part (laughs) i've not seen the lego movie 2 boy that is an ensemble cast you've gone to there and uh you know who's the star of the lego movie 2 batman chris pratt Oh. He plays Emmett Batman. Br- Mario Brickhouse. <laughs> Emmett Mario Mario Brickowski Star Lord <laughs> is his full name. That's his. That is his. his, his uh-huh. On the birth Hyphen Dwyer. That's his. Yeah, name. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, he, for real, he he is Star Lord, as you all know, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. One of my favorite movies, actually, probably top of my list in the MCU, is Avengers: Infinity War. You guys mm. like that one? I enjoy that one. It's fine. Yeah. And uh, my favorite part of that film is when, hey, Cap, on your left, who's talking? But Sam Wilson, Anthony Mackie. Yeah. And you know, Anthony Mackie also starred in my favorite of the Disney Plus Marvel shows, uh-huh. Falcon and Winter Soldier. He did. And there's a lot of similar issues discussed in that show as in this one. That's and true. And you know who anchored both of those films and those conversations, Carl Lumby, who plays Congressman DeLumes in this movie, but he was Isaiah Bradley was he in really? Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's interesting. I, oh, I sort of wow. saw that coming as you went to Falcon and Winter Soldier. I was like, oh, is he Isaiah Bradley? And uh, He is. And now you say that, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. And yeah. as soon as I figured that out, I was yeah, like, sure, you there's path. no other person to Obviously. do this around because yeah. obviously... 
I love that show, but obviously also like the parallels of these two yeah, 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 yeah. things. You had to That's do great. it. And then when I found, I did a lot. This one took me a while. As soon as I found the hook connection, I was like, mm. oh, that's a good one. That's good. That so. is good. That, that was. I will say. Sprinkle. I like him better as Isaiah Bradley than I do as Congressman Dolls. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. But great yeah. mustache regardless. Oh, yeah. Regardless. You've been Armageddon, the part of the show where Molly by no one's urging has found yet another way this decom can be tied to the smash hit Armageddon. Don't tell her to stop because she won't. You can't escape it even in a serious episode. Sorry, where were we? Um, we were talking we were. about, uh, we were about to have uh, Mari head to America. Mari oh, yeah. goes to America. One of my favorite scenes in this movie. And, and there are brilliantly written directed and produced because it is as an audience member and i we've established that my my sort of like what sets me on edge is just incredible discomfort eking out of a scene and mari meeting the dellum family so it's piper and her mother who by the way can we just say queen piper's oh, mom yeah. oh piper's her. mom is great what Number what is piper's character. mom's name i wrote roscoe it down, yeah. roscoe, roscoe. i remember because I remember being like, that's a name choice. Okay. Roscoe Dellum is hands down my favorite character in this movie. I mean, she's the, she's the moral center of the movie. Like, without question. She's mm-hmm. the moral center of the movie. So, yeah, she's she's the best one. But, she's you, Alan. Okay. She is. I, she's I you. Think she is. Roscoe's in another league. To be, to be very fair. You're our Roscoe. Roscoe. Uh, okay. You're our Roscoe. You guide us. You do. Well, we have Mari arrive and meet Roscoe and Piper at the airport, and there is a brief interaction, but the outcome is Mari still does not understand that these are indeed the Dellums. She believes that they are the help. Uh, yeah, I, I think, the, I mean, to me, the best part of this scene is them watching everybody get off the plane and being like, is, is that her? Is that her? Because Piper and Roscoe are looking for a black girl to get off the plane and don't pay any attention to Mari. And Mari, of course, is looking for a white family waiting on her and don't pay any attention to Piper and Roscoe. And so the, the irony we experience as an audience, knowing what's coming, but then watching them they even like catch the eye of someone getting off the plane, like try awkwardly to hand them flowers. And like, (laughs) I love this scene. I thought it was, it was a great moment in like, again, that, that irony that we are experiencing as the audience knowing what's happening and, and watching it all get set up before they ask around and realize, Oh, this is Mari. And, uh, and, and Mari, as you are saying is like surprised that, she just thinks they're there to get her bags. And all I can Ugh. think is, remember pre-9-11 airports. Oh, my God. I know go where you could gate. go to Gates. Yeah, yeah. That's all I can think about when I see scenes like that. The pickup Mari. Hop in the car. Take her to Congressman Dellum's office. And once more, even, even in greater fashion, we have as an audience understanding of what is about to go down. And the door opens into Congressman Dellum's office. He is surrounded by his constituents, all of which are black. And Mari enters the room and a pall of silence falls over that entire room. And you just watch comprehension dawn on all of the individuals in the room, except for Mari, who utters probably one of the most, I like it, it, oh, it was so uncomfortable in the time. She goes, this is a joke, right? 
setting up the fact that she does not think that a black man could be a congressman. Right. And Ron, Rob, or Ron is like, nope, it's real. This is, this is real. And this is, this is where that sort of the, the flip switches here. Comprehension dawns and now like Mari's now in on the conflict that the Dellums family has known about, we've known about, now Mari's in on it. And she locks herself in Piper's room. Well, she gets back to a house mm-hmm. first. She, they drive up to the house and she's like, why are we going here? She, she can't comprehend that they own that home, that that is the, actually the place they live. Then she walks in to uh, drums and, and traditional African music being played yeah. because her brothers are excited to welcome and like, it, it, you know, clearly it's like, you don't know what you missed, you know, like it's this like, you are trying to be welcoming, obviously, but the situation has changed without your knowledge, brothers. And then, yeah, to your point, like she goes upstairs and locks herself in a room immediately. Oh, the, this entire this entire scene is just it does a really good job of just letting you stew in it. There is a moment of levity coming here shortly, and I do want to highlight that. But they they just make you sit in this, and it's mm-hmm. and then Piper and Roscoe have a very loud conversation about their disappointment in this being the scenario that they are in. And I was just thinking the whole time, she can deaf hear you. I don't remember who said it, but I remember the line. I thought we ordered a real African. That when I was like, that is a wild line. (laughs) (laughs) That is one of the brothers. Uh, But but even before you get to the house, the conversation, like Mari's like trailing behind Piper and Roscoe, like maybe five feet. And they're like, it's just a mix up. I don't know how we got a white. (laughs) Like, it's just like, they're talking so loud. And it's like, she can definitely hear you mm-hmm. um, and again roscoe is being the moral center she's like you assumed things about her she assumed things about us this is what happens but like piper's very audibly being like i don't like her it's like i mean i wouldn't either but it's very loud and it's very awkward and it's it's also you you have the added dynamic of that we haven't even talked about yet congressman dellums is fighting actively against apartheid. Ron Dellums is is like a massive proponent, and we find out later on, spearheads a lot of uh, congressional measures to fight against apartheid and like stand against it in the U.S. So he sees Mari immediately not as a not as like a fourteen year old girl who's coming from South Africa as an exchange student. He sees her, and I mean rightfully so in his mind, as like the agent of the thing I'm fighting against. Yeah. And that's that's tough to swallow. Again, now you're watching this as an adult. As a kid, I don't think people people get that off the bat. But as an adult, you're like, oh, wow. Oh, like another layer of, of discomfort and, and, and conflict now in that household. Yeah. And, and I do say like this is, I think, where you see Roscoe really step up as that moral center of the family because when dad gets home his immediate response is like send her back like i don't want her here she shouldn't be here her presence goes against everything i stand for everything i'm fighting against like she she's treated our family poorly send her back right and obviously there's a ton of emotion in that moment because of the work he's doing in politics, because of the way black people are being treated in South Africa, because of all, I mean, a a history of racial uh, uh, wrongdoings. But Roscoe in that moment is the moral center to say like, that's a 14 year old girl. She can't control how she was raised. 
she has no control over what her family taught her, the what her government does. That is a little girl. And she is not her country. She is not the decisions that her government has made. She's not her dad. And that is, uh, I think, a really interesting bit of tension that gets brought into this family. And, and one of the things that you see um, throughout this movie is like, yeah, the, the views and the, and the uh, politics happening in South Africa in this time are, are, are horrible. But also, I think that it, it's interesting that they also take the moment to be like, yo, everybody has, everybody has bias. And like what you're trying to do is over, oversimplify an incredibly complicated issue. Like what you're trying to do in this moment is oversimplify something that's very, very complicated. And the complication right now is that that's a little girl. Who's flown country, a country away to be yeah. here. An ocean away. An ocean. Yeah, an ocean away. It's, it's so interesting that we talk about the, the dynamic with Ron now because we have roscoe and ron have a conversation uh at this point ron and piper are very much sort of like in the same camp with roscoe trying to trying her best as you as you mentioned to sort of like recenter the family and then that same night we're introduced to the to the other father figure which is uh mari's dad when mari leaves the room at night and goes to call home thus far there's been very you know, after Mari locks herself in a room, there's very little interaction other than them trying to offer her dinner, trying to trying to have some conversation. You get two or three beats of that occurring. It's all when Roscoe's leading that way, she's leading with kindness and trying to make it approachable. And then Mari hops on the phone with her dad at night and her dad doesn't wait, not even a beat. Picks up and was like, oh, so you're coming home. I've already got the flight booked for you. What just a stark contrast in in those conversations. And I think for Mari, she's like, she's a 14-year-old girl in that moment. Like, I'm going to prove my dad wrong. She decides to stay for the wrong reason, but yeah. we support progress. And it's going to end true. up being a very good thing for her to stay. It's going to end up being a whole life lesson. But she decides she wants to stay because her dad basically said, I do you chicken out. Yeah, it's pride. It's in totally, it's totally pride driven. For whatever, listen, she stays. And that's, that's huge for, I mean, both in the, the actual story and for what we see play out here. Because Mari ultimately, like all of this sort of leads to her finally exiting the room and overhearing a conversation between Piper and Roscoe. A really surprisingly deep conversation between Piper and Roscoe, where Roscoe's effectively having a very overt conversation of, you both made assumptions. Mm -hmm. She's here now. It is our obligation to be the best host we possibly can be mm -hmm. and then to try to be understanding of the cultural differences even, and stand up for those things that we see are wrong, which Mario overhears. I also want to point out that milkshakes once again become an important feature in a oh, decom. That's true. Because Piper brings Mari some lunch and it includes a milkshake. It's fries and a chocolate milkshake, right? And she says... I think there's a burger in it. She says, or you like chocolate, right? Or do you only like vanilla? Ooh. And it's like, she's not really being subtle with that metaphor. But it did remind me of in Brink when Val says strawberry milkshakes are only for girls. I think Disney does have a thing about milkshakes there's being like a, a metaphor. There's like yeah, a there's like a milkshake agenda. metaphor. Yeah. yeah. What is the milkshake agenda? And why do they bring the boys to the yard? 
<laughs> and is there one flavor? Oh. Is there a particular <laughs> which, flavor? Which flavor God. brings the boys Does to the yard? Does strawberry bring oh. the girls to the yard? As long as it's better than yours. Mm-hmm. Damn right. I, I could, could teach you. teach you, but I'd have to judge. <laughs> to charge. <laughs> My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard and they're like, it's better than yours. Anyway, uh, uh, they, they decide, <laughs> Mari decides to stay, which I also want to take this moment before we get even deeper and compliment uh, Lindsay Hahn's accent because she's mm. American and she does a very good South African accent throughout this yeah. movie. She can for, still do it. For being 14, like, that's she's pretty good at it. She fairly uh, recently posted on TikTok doing it. Oh, really? Really? That's yeah. awesome. Huh. Yeah. Good for her. I thought it was great. So that she decides to stay. We get a nice moment between the girls too because they both got each other a present and they open it and it's a bracelet. And mm-hmm. it's like, this is a little bit of your like after school special. Like we're not so different, you and I. Right. We both bought each other a bracelet and you see the like budding hope of friendship. I, I liked that moment because they said like, oh, we must have something in common. Yeah, neither one of us have money. And I was like, well, that's funny. I, I that's, a, that's a nice like, yeah, you're a 14-year-old kid. You would have that realization. Like, <laughs> I, I don't have any cash. That, that seems real for me, uh, having been that age and like knowing what, you know, get a gift for your friend would have been. So we have, a, we have an interesting moment when Ron gets home where he sees... Mari's bags packed. Ron makes the assumption that she's leaving, and Roscoe shuts him down real quick about saying she's just moving to the guest room. That we're going to continue to sort of marinate on that tension. And it all sort of leads to the following morning at breakfast. Oh. Uh, mm. Which I, again, there are some really pivotal scenes where Roscoe is taking that lead role, and this yeah. is one of them. I, I actually think. This might be before breakfast, if I can. There's a scene where, when does Ron find out that Mari's dad's a cop? I don't remember. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I remember that, but I don't remember. I could it, see it where he finds that out in that moment where he's like, she stands against everything yeah. that I, I think if he knew then, that would support his argument a little bit. I think he knew it then because he says something along the lines of like, she's racist and Roscoe's like, no, her parents are. And like, yeah. he says something along the lines of like, Roscoe saying she's a 14 year old girl. She's not all of these things that you're putting on her shoulders here. And he says something like, well, our kids aren't racist. And she says, because we taught them not to be, we mm. educated them and maybe we can educate her too. And mm. that's such an important line to me. Cause we're yeah. not only going to see that throughout this story, in both very direct teachings of the Delums family or of the Delums family to Mari, but there's also just things Mari does and says in, in these scenes we're about to talk about that are very clear that this is a learned behavior. And that to me is one of the whole arguments that we're having right now, Hmm. 20 plus years later is that racism is a learned behavior. Yeah. And it's very explicitly illustrated with this character. Yeah. And, and also that it's in deep and that you can think you are, you know, having all the good intent in the world, but your environment will bake in uh, unconscious bias and like 
you will do shit that's bad and and that you have to actively work to go against you know and like actively be aware of and and so yeah i love that i love that point molly i think it's i think it is really important and and they're gonna quietly keep hammering on that um throughout the rest of the movie and one of the best parts about it is that and i think for the most part, Mari is very open about when a blind spot is exposed, however glaring it might be to us as the audience, she is, again, for the most part that we see in the film, very open about just, you, you sort of like watch an internalization moment and then it moves on and the course correct just happens. A great example of that is at the breakfast table when Mari sits down and is like, can you pass the OJ or do you have OJ? They pass her the OJ and then she just starts spouting off orders of what she wants for breakfast to the entire family sitting down as they're just sort of eating their cornflakes. Rusks and brinjal, she says specifically. Rusks and brinjal. Which, do you know what that is? I looked it up. No idea. Well, brinjal is easy. It's eggplant. Huh. Rusks is apparently a dry biscuit or twice baked bread. It's bread they, we ate it before all the safaris because it's really hard. And yeah, it was compared to, it was compared to biscotti Mm -hmm. on the internet. Although it says it is, uh, sometimes made with cake, which makes it a little bit different to me, but, um, yeah, rusks and brinjal are basically like a really dry twice baked bread and brinjal is eggplant. We had really sweet rusk. When we went to South Africa, the first, when we arrived, it was very late at night when we arrived in, in South Africa. And we went to stay at a sort of interim um, spot prior to being taken to the to the reserve where we stayed to uh, to go on safari, and we had a really sweet brusque that or sweet rusk rather that morning. It was like when you say it was cakey, it was very like it's uh, hard though. It's it was, like a yeah, that's what like they says like dry twice baked bread, and again it was compared to biscotti. And it's because you could take it out with you mm-hmm. farming or hunting or whatever you were out doing. Cause Smiley, our guide taught us about it and oh, it would smiley. like, um, cause you could like put it in your pocket or put it in your bag and it wouldn't it's get smushed break. or something like mm-hmm. bread would. Yeah. No, so many memories just came back from, uh, from that trip. Anyway, neither here nor there. So she begins barking out these requests and as it happens when, when the sort of like overt bit of ingrained racism exposes itself, the table falls silent. And then mm-hmm. the brothers are like, we're going to go to the playground. Bye. Because <laughs> again, they're there to make you chuckle a little bit. Piper not so subtly announces she's not super happy about the entire situation and goes to get ready for school. No, and, they're going to the mall. Oh, to the mall. Right, right, right. And Roscoe stands up and goes, I don't know what any of that is. And even if I did, I'm not going to make it. You see, when we're here at this family, we eat what I make. And what I decided to get for you today are these corn puffs well so you're gonna have that sugar hoops sugar, sugar hoops. hoops but i also want to point out the important question that roscoe asks first which is do you have a maid at home mm-hmm. and mari kind of doesn't understand like she's like huh and she's like do you have a housekeeper do you like i don't know what mari would call flora mm-hmm. or i i probably do but <laughs> So Roscoe immediately understands that Mari is used to someone taking her order and preparing her food and that most likely that person is a black woman. Right. And Mari confirms. And then, as you said, Alan, she's like, well, you're one of my kids right now. You're part of this family. And in this family, we eat what's served and we're having sugar hoops. 
It's a brilliant bit of education. I just want to pause for a moment and talk about how brilliantly that is done. Uh, as as somebody who just lives and breathes by like sort of like educational psychology, what what Roscoe does there is pulls. She understands the root of the issue, pulls Mari from her normal setting, and in a very comfortable way, it's not uncomfortable. In a very comfortable way, it goes, "That's not where you are anymore. You're here, and here." Here's the parameters of how we perform things. Cool? Ask no questions and leaps. It is, a, it is the assumption that she understands. So now Mari's like, this is my world now. And I, I was just like, that is brilliant. I, it blew me. I loved that scene for so many reasons. Yeah. And then as you said, Molly, shortly thereafter, they go to the mall. And, and, and Mari gets the experience of being in a mall in America. Can we talk about the car ride first? Sure. So oh, right, 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 right. Yep, you're right. I, I'm skipping over the window washing. They're they're in the car and they're going from their very nice upper class neighborhood into a lower income neighborhood. And Mari is surprised that they're still in Washington D.C. She's surprised that it looks like certain places that she would be seeing in South Africa. And uh, Roscoe says the really the line of the film we have our problems in america too and i thought mm. boy is that true and they uh they pause at a stoplight and a black gentleman comes to wash the window and mari is like afraid she's concerned what is happening and roscoe explains oh he's just washing the windshield uh mari says is that his job roscoe says today is it is and mari says is that on his pass and mm-hmm. Piper isn't sure what a pass is. And Roscoe explains that black people in uh, South Africa have to carry a pass around with their job and their information. And Piper is clearly taken aback by this. And she's like, why? And Mari very nonchalantly says, it's so we can keep track of them. It's good for them. They don't mind it. And she's mm-hmm. just very brazen with all these answers that we are Piper in this moment. We are all horrified to learn this information that this is something that black people have to do, but white people don't. Yeah. And this, I think all goes back to what I was saying before, which is this is a learned behavior. Mari sees nothing wrong with the fact that black people have to have a pass. They have to carry around an identification card that they have to put their occupation on it, but white people don't. And it's just the way she's grown up. This is she's she's literally just parroting what her parents yeah, have taught yeah, that's, her. That's, part. that's the perspective she's been told, right? Like that's when when she asked her parents why, that's what they told her, right? Oh, it's for their own good. You know, she for, says so that. they can stay safe. She just parrots them. Yeah. She parrots it back and and it's just that loop again of like it's the danger of an echo chamber, right? Like you're what that is just the danger of this, this racist paradigm in an echo chamber. It just continues to become the cyclical thing that just, again, is learned and you have to break that cycle, which we're yeah. what we're witnessing with Mari. You have to break that cycle in order to make any progress. Um, yeah. And then they arrive at the mall where again, mm. Mari is experiencing a, a unique uh, circumstance. She's not experienced it before. Yeah. So they, she asks, like, is this what all malls are like? And, and Roscoe sort of shrugs that off. It's like, oh, some are nicer, some are, you know, some are bigger, some are smaller. And she says, no, like everyone shopping together, white people, black people shopping together. And this is probably my main criticism of this movie is that 
Roscoe and Piper sort of like laughingly respond in this interaction of like, well, yeah, it's it's against the law for stores to to discriminate against other people based on their race. And by the way, they wouldn't want to anyway. They want your money. <laughs> and it is 1977. We are not that far removed from the civil rights movement. Like I my main criticism of this film is that. Yes, in that scene before Molly, she's like, America has its problems. But to kind of laughingly act like the idea of discrimination in a store in a mall is a crazy thing that no one would do in 1977 is a little disingenuous. Like, I think that this could have been an opportunity to say like, hey, not too long ago, America was very similar to what you experience in South Africa today. And there's been a lot of work done to allow for this type of environment. Like, I think that this was an opportunity mm -hmm. to sort of reflect on the civil rights movement and to put ourselves in 1977 and talk about how it was pretty recent that a ton of work has been done and it's still not perfect. And to like draw some parallels between what Mari experiences on the daily and what was the norm not too long ago in America. And to sort of act like, well, that would be crazy that a store owner would, would, would not want your money. Of course they want your money. They're going to bring in everyone is like, I, that's my one main criticism of this film is like, I, I think that America in a lot of ways is presented in a very idyllic light mm -hmm. um, as a, uh, as a mirror to South Africa when like this is a period piece not far removed from the civil rights movement. I mean, shit, we have, we're dealing with those issues today. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't matter when it was, but right. like specifically because it's a period piece, agreed, agreed, agreed. you know, like it's, it is, I just walked away from that being like, come on, like <laughs> that's, uh, I don't know if I could go that far with you. <laughs> right. And again, I, they're trying to use it as a teaching moment for Mari, but it feels as somebody who's, familiar with our our own history with with this and, and always constantly learning like that not too far removed but uh, they wanted to get to the shopping montage sure i think they wanted to and they utilize the shopping montage as a moment to show mari and um piper bonding and termitis mm -hmm. were in 1977 because yeah it's true yeah hey we're in 1977 also bonding montage look at these bell bottoms and after all of the shopping they come back with their outfits and they are in piper's room no 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 i got no it. no no oh, okay, there's okay, a scene okay. that's very important before yeah, that you're correct very you are correct you are correct. you are correct they go get ice cream as you do at any good shopping trip you get a treat at the food court and they are at the ice cream shop air is a young black bus boy he trips or something and spills ice cream all over a white customer and mari has a flashback which we see back to South Africa from the beginning of the movie when a, the same thing happened in South Africa and the busboy was kicked and called a slur. Mm -hmm. And she is nervous because she's, she literally says out loud. She says out loud. Don't kick him or yeah. don't hurt him. And I, I, I think because of what's going to happen next, I have to imagine that she vocalizes it just for the audience that that is her internal monologue being vocalized for the audience because 
uh, the the customer responds fine. He he's like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, can you get me another chocolate sundae? That's pretty good. Like obviously, completely different. Which, by the way, again, not realistic. I don't think that's real at all. And then like they just keep kind of going back to normalcy. And all I think was like, no prompting. This girl just says out loud. <laughs> Don't kick him and no one acknowledges it. Like what an insane interaction if no one says anything. So I think that just has to be for the audience at that well, moment. Okay. I have a, I have a bigger point to make, but wait, you don't think, are you saying the guy would be mad, but he just wouldn't kick him? Yeah. I think that, I think that the customer, he doesn't kick him, but I think that if you spilled a chocolate sundae all over some guy he wouldn't be like ah oh, it's fine man that, it was tasting pretty good you can give me another one that would be great man it's yeah. fine like stains all over his sweater like he would be upset I mean, like, yeah, you'd be mad you wouldn't like assault someone and call him a no of course word, not like, of course not yeah. but no, not this guy you. was I mean, literally like yeah he yeah the customer like, the customer literally, the, the guy's like, is there anything I could get you? I'm so sorry. And he's like, whatever that guy has. That's tasty. <laughs> he like licks it off his own shirt. Like, yeah, okay, that's dramatic. Um, that would not happen. It was funny, though. It was funny. Luckily, he's in a mall, though, so he could go. He get a shirt really easy. Shirts. That's true. That's true. Um, but the, the point I, I wanted to bring up about that scene is that Mari knew that what happened in South Africa was wrong. Mm. She knows that by her getting awkward, by her muttering, don't kick him, by her remembering South Africa's parallel, she knows that's wrong. So I think that was just interesting from a point of like all this other stuff, she's parroting back what her parents have taught her about all these other things. But at, on some level, she knows what's wrong. Yeah, it's, I, I it's think physical that, violence. So right. I'm, I'm glad she knows that's wrong. But I just thought it was interesting that she had that reaction when one scene earlier, she's not like nonchalantly talking about how, you know, black it's good for black people to be tracked by the police. Well, and, that, and, and that's why this is complicated, right? Like, that's why that's why all of this shit is complicated is because. On one hand, you have racially driven policies that she's asked her family why political decisions have been made. They've given her a response and she parrots it back because she trusts her family. And on the other hand, she sees physical violence against a human being. And like one of those, you can perceive and say, that's wrong, right? Uh, Because you know how you would feel if you got kicked. And the other one, you can't comprehend. You don't understand. And so you just trust the person that's telling you and you parrot it back, right? And that's why... It's it's so complicated. Uh, there's such a spectrum of like very clear human rights violations and like racist policies that a lot of people don't dig into enough to understand why they are racially driven and why they're ho- they're horrible. You know, and like Mari is at a place where she understands this thing and she has no comprehension of the other. After this uncomfortable ice cream scene for. Mari, which is again, I think meant to show some growth on her part or at least some acknowledgement of things that she knows to be wrong. We cut back to Mari and Piper in Piper's room doing a little bit of a fashion show together and ultimately have one of the most surprising scenes, I think, in DCOM history, uh, shoot, in, in history of anything that I've, I've sort of seen in this, in this setting. Really, really uncomfortable. And it's intended to be. It is overtly expressed as you need... It almost felt like the... 
the director, producer, filmmaker is holding up a mirror and like, look at this. This is the uncomfortable thing we've been skating around all this time. Here it is. Because you have Piper and Mari engaging in a relatively innocent conversation at first where Piper says, hey, should I wear these shoes or these first day of school shoes or are they not? And Mari doesn't really understand because we learn and, and Mari says, everybody has a uniform where I go to school. We don't really have to worry about it. And, and this bridges into a conversation where Mari drops the slur. Well, okay. Mari says, where am I going to school? Piper says, you're going to my school, of course. And this surprises Mari because even though she's learning a little bit, she still has that mindset of where she grew up. And she's surprised to learn that she would go to the same school as Piper because in South Africa, it's unsurprising that um, the schools are segregated. And this leads Mari to start explaining kind of at the prompting of Piper to start going through all of the different words that they use in South Africa to describe black people. And there's various levels of offensive. And Piper says, how many words are there for white people? And Mari says, just one. But throughout this conversation where Mari's explaining all of the different words, Piper says the N word and then Mari says it back. And it is not, they don't say quote the N word. They say hard R, hard R. And I truthfully thought I dreamt that when we mm-hmm. sat down to watch this movie again. I remember thinking they said it from childhood and then thinking mm. there's no way they really say it. Right. But they say it. I ugh. and it is I was shocking. I was legitimately stunned. Like, again, hadn't watched it before. Didn't read about it. Didn't know what I was getting into other than an obvious um, uh, theme of, of racial tension. And when Piper said it, I was like, oh, wow, that's a choice. And then when Mari said it, I was legitimately stunned. Like, pause the movie, shocked. That's the effect it's intended to have. Sure. And it's, it is... It- I, I mean, I, I think I, I agree with you, but I also... Listen, I, I'm not... Man, I, I don't get to be the one that gets to decide how it should or shouldn't be used. For sure. But I worry a little bit about the kid that hasn't been educated very well by their parents hearing a white kid on Disney Channel say that word. I, I like I, I'm concerned a little bit about the kid whose parents haven't driven home that that's a word that is an atrocity that should never be said. And then they hear a white girl say it on Disney Channel. I, I I mean, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. Obviously, as an adult, I felt like, oh, my God, that's the most like it's certainly the most shocking thing I've seen in any Disney production. But I don't know. I, I think I felt a lot of ways, which is probably the right reaction. It, it really is, I think, intended to just it's intended to, I think, be this sort of climactic point for Mari and Piper's relationship because they're they're having a very overt conversation in the rawest of terms of the differences that Mari is experiencing in her life and upbringing and what Piper is experiencing, right? It is, it is a very raw and real conversation that leads to this, this pinnacle of a, of a climactic point. And that continues when Piper goes into her parents' room with Roscoe and Ron and is getting her hair done. And they're having a conversation together as a family. And Piper begins 
parroting the words that she has learned from Mari that her parents know. And Piper, and I, this is something that was sort of lost. I mean, I, I very likely was probably still in, the, in shock from just sort of hearing it kind of be rehashed. But Ron believes that Mari called Piper that slur. And it leads to this massive point of point of conflict. I will say that Ron's reaction when to this line is a wild delivery. Um, I, uh, maybe this is me looking for a moment of levity in, in the scene, but when he hears Piper say this, what you is clearly an emotional reaction. It's meant to be an emotional reaction. He is the follow up is the stomping down the hall. Like he's he is having an emotional response. But his delivery upon her saying it is him saying, She called you what? Instead of like, She called you what? Like there, there is no like emphasis. It was very like mono syllabic throughout like she called you what i was like that is sort of a robotic delivery of that line ron that was uh an interesting sort of lack of emotion on your part i wasn't paying attention to that because i was too busy listening to the incredibly dramatic shift of the music in that exact Mm. moment it goes from just like i don't actually even think there is music and all of a sudden when there is a miscommunication about what mari said the music becomes so dramatic and Ron rightfully so stomps down the hall and he's like, that's it. She's out. And it takes Piper explaining that she was confused and she said the wrong one. And Mari would never call me that one for Ron to calm down. I think it's also intended and we get, we get payoff for this in the next minute or so. I think it's intended to be a pivotal moment for Ron and his relationship with Mari. It's, mm. it's supposed to set up this really dramatic moment for Ron because Ron is having a very real response to something that is incredibly offensive. It's heinous. And he's calmed down by his daughter, which I think is important and impactful that it was not Roscoe doing the calming in this scene. I think it is incredibly important that it was Piper. Ron turns back into the room and, and sort of things settle. What we get next is Mari. It's just a theme of Mari not being able to sleep, apparently. We first Mari, day of school jitters. We've all had them. First day of school jitters. So she goes downstairs. and Listen, begins, it's jet lag. I've been there. She's <laughs> been there for like a month. <laughs> I've, I've experienced it. We, I mean, who am I to talk? It. I go to sleep at like four in the morning. Right. Like, that is I don't true. have any. Well, you wake me say. up every time. You're like, I'm going to be so sneaky. <laughs> oh, I, don't uh, think I don't think I'm <laughs> sneaky at all. Uh, so Mari goes downstairs and it is sort of taking the space and she sees the book roots on the coffee table of the Delms family and who should enter the scene but Ron as he's going to turn off lights because he's hearing a commotion downstairs so naturally he's a dad he's and he's dads a- always have to go around the house and turn off all the lights and make sure that's the right the stats set and mm-hmm. like that's do right. their dad lock the, set the alarm lock the yeah you got to do the dad thing it's, yeah. the, it's the pre-bed checklist it is very much he, he's in that mode uh, in that mode and it leads to a really good heart to heart between Ron and Mari. And there's a, there's a little bit of a, a, a pre, a preamble to the band book band TV conversation that happens. And Mari has started to pick up and read roots. And Ron says, Hey, root is a great place to start. Great place to start learning. It's, it's very impactful. And it was helpful for us here in America when we started needing to examine what was going on with our, our, uh, our, our racial tension and racial relations. And then he delivers a, a line to Mari, which I loved. And it was, I don't think you're a bad person. 
I just think you've been taught some bad things. I, I thought that line about roots was interesting because I mean, obviously it's true. It's an incredibly impactful story, but let's remember that this movie is set in 1977. Mm -hmm. Do you know what year roots came out? Oh, I didn't look that up, but I, I should. 1976 is the answer. Huh? So very timely inclusion of roots here. Yeah. Uh, and obviously an incredibly impactful, but I thought it was interesting. That he was like, this has been a very helpful book. I'm like, yeah. Okay. Immediately successful, very important book for, for understanding. Um, and, and a lot of Americans learning important lessons, but I thought it was interesting. The implication there of like, oh, that book's been out for six months. Like it's like that. It hasn't been out that long. Like, but it, it was quite timely for them to include it because it had literally just come out. I also think this is one of those moments that felt relatable for me, at least with Mari, not on the racism, but on the fact that at some point, possibly around her age, often a little bit older, you realize your parents are not always right. And you learn that your parents mm. are sometimes not good people. Mm. And you learn, doesn't matter who you are. You have to learn at some point that your parents are humans. They're fallible. Mm. And that is what Mari is going through right now because her father is a cop. Her father has all these beliefs that he has instilled upon her. And she is learning through living with this family that they're not only different beliefs, but so they're downright wrong. Mm. And that's a very tough lesson when you are whatever age it is that you learn that when you realize that your parents who are supposed to be this like beacon of shelter and safety and, and education and all these mm. things, that moment of like, my parents are human and they're not always good and right is a tough mm. one. And that is another lesson Mari's learning right now. Yeah. And I, I'm going to put a pin in that because I think that they really hammer that point home at the end of this movie. I think they do a really good job of nailing that um, at the end, which we're not too far away from at this point. I, I loved everything about this scene between Ron and Mari. I think that this is, and it has so much more weight. The gravity to it is so much more because we've just had the scene where Ron blows up, right? Because of this, this misinterpreted conversation. And she acknowledges that she says, I'm sorry that you thought I called Piper this word. And he says, I didn't, I didn't know you heard that. Like he, he kind of is sheepish and like, he can't cover up the fact that that's what he was mad about. And in a cheesy line, but a poignant line, she says something like, maybe I was supposed to hear you because yeah. she's learning. Yeah. It, I, that's again, I think that's for the audience. Her saying that is for the audience to see like, oh, we're supposed to acknowledge this growth. And this is a vocal acknowledgement of growth. The next couple of scenes, we, we, we hit a montage really quick after this, but not before Piper and Mari have a conversation about banned books and banned media within South Africa because Mar Mari is given a book report. Um, when she goes, So she goes to high school, checks in with the other exchange students. There is the uh, there's an uncomfortable interaction where she bumps into a football player who is, or somebody who's wearing a varsity jacket, I should say, who is black and drops, uh, knocks his books out of his hands. She picks them up after a long delay and hands it to him and he goes, you're supposed to say sorry. And Piper kind of comes in as, and like axes comes into Mari's aid. But there's like that very real interaction of, of Mari not understanding how to interact in the social space because she's not had to do it before. She's very mm -hmm. much not used to it. 
two things one piper has balls of steel yeah she does <laughs> yes she, she does. comes up to she this does. like clearly senior jock guy and is like don't be a dick basically like she calls him out and she's like 14 so first of all props to piper second of all a little fun factoid for you the football player is played by eric Dellums, who is the real ron Dellums' son oh hmm. so just that a little cool. cameo from the real family which i thought was neat uh, fun factoid. That is a fun mm-hmm. fact. That's mm-hmm. a very fun fact. Ultimately, Mari is given a uh, a book report assignment on a book that is banned in South Africa. Really driving home that point. I thought it was interesting that she came to America and got assigned a book from South Africa. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I'm on exchange program and I'm getting assigned shit from the country I'm from. Like, feels like I signed up for something different here. You know, like I. I uh, I'd be pissed if I was on that exchange program. Well, and that's what they all say. They're like, how have you never heard of this book? It's literally written. It's like the most famous book from your country. And she's like, we're not allowed to read I'm it. I'm not allowed to read it. Yeah. It's cried the beloved country, by the way, if anyone was yeah. interested. I also liked the, the conversation they're having now that like Mari is sort of in the family and they're walking home from school or, or at school and they're asking her about where she's from there. The, it's Piper and her brothers and Daniel. And they're asking her about where she, they go, when you wake up, what do you see? You know, like, what do you, you look out your window? What does it look like? And she's like cows and, and they're like, no lions and no. And so she's explaining to them, like your perception of South Africa is not my version of South Africa. And I loved that The kid was like, one of the brothers says, what's the point of growing up in, in South Africa if you can't be chased by a rhino? And I was like, <laughs> that is truly the pinnacle of growing up in Africa. I agree. If I'm not being chased by a rhino, what am I even doing what here? What is the point? Yeah, the that, point. Get it? I get it. I'll get the, the point beca- in the Because, end. you know what I mean? Yeah. Rhino noses. Yeah. You get it? Oh, I get it. Okay. What? All right. Uh, I also think that's just such a typical like little kid thing uh, totally. to think yeah. like, oh, do you have a pet lion? Do you do you have a giraffe? Like, yeah, they're there to bring that bring that light to it. It, it said a great time. They're bringing levity to this thing, and then it immediately moves into a montage of uh, Mari at school, Mari and Piper becoming friends, we Mari engaging. We love a friendship montage. I will tell you right now. I audibly said. I remember I was standing in the kitchen making chicken salad. And I audibly said, good something's going to go wrong here. Well, yeah. Sure. What well, has to? Something has That's to That's how story wrong. structure works. Yeah. That, you know, it can't I just read end it, now. I read it in the script. <laughs> it ends um, nicely. And everything was fine. And, and racism was, was fixed. <laughs> we have 20 more minutes of this movie and it'll all be this. <laughs> Enjoy our montage. What ultimately happens is representatives from the South African embassy show up and Take Mari away from the Dellums family. I don't think they can do this. We don't know. I we, mean, I don't know, but it yeah, just I don't feels know. like kidnapping. We, we, yeah, that's true. We, they sort of allude to that later. <laughs> so Mari gets taken, taken to the South African embassy, and is asked by all of the representatives from that embassy some very racist questions well, about her treatment at, from the Dellums family. Well, yeah, and even in the process of the ambassadors like packing her up and saying, we got to get you out of there, they go into her room and they see roots. They see, you know, 
cried the beloved cut they they're like oh gosh this is the worst possible scenario right <laughs> like we gotta You're get being you educated. out of here like yeah and uh yeah they take her to the embassy this entire setup is i think it's it's multi-tiered right but for for mari it is she's feeling what it is like to not get a choice to not have any say in her experience and ultimately to be like locked in a singular space. So she's she's being put in a situation that is incredibly uncomfortable and she's very used to a life of freedom and sort of idealism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's being done by people who look like her. And this is also coinciding with the death of Stephen Biko. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting this political beat to that story, this sort of like C story, if you will, that's kind of the the underlying energy that's driving this, where you have Stephen Biko, who is in South Africa, who now is dead, and the South Africans are saying that it's because he killed himself, but the reports are that he died from police brutality. And there's different versions of the story and the Americans know and like the world perspective is that he he was killed through police brutality but there's this propaganda that's saying no it was suicide and he killed himself and and so there's uh, protesting that's beginning and this is what causes the action of going getting Mari is like well we're worried about sort of the political uh, uprising and and view and like the what might happen in light of the death of Stephen Biko and trying to control this narrative. Mari is immediately told upon arriving, like Stephen Biko died, he killed himself and is immediately sort of brought into the propaganda uh, from minute one of being in that embassy. And then meanwhile, we get Congressman Dellums talking to his counsel, his, his fellow political folks. And they're like, Stephen Biko was killed by the police. Right. It makes it all the more interesting that, when Mari is given the opportunity to make a call home, she calls Congressman Dellum's office. No, she doesn't call. She calls. Uh, she calls the Dellum's family home. home. She calls the Dellum's family home. Which, by the way, she memorized that number, and I was very impressed. As mm-hmm. somebody that's not had to memorize a phone number in a long time, quite impressive that that girl did it in maybe a month. Uh, good job. Good for her, Mari. Good job, Mari. But it's so. Like, I think it's so interesting that the person she calls is not home. When everything that we've seen from her up until now is like, oh, she's been parroting these things. But like, that's like a massive uh, sort of the, the tipping point in this fulcrum of like, I'm going to call the Dellum family. And they don't pick up immediately. They don't pick up at all. They miss each other. It's mm-hmm. one of those classic mm-hmm. TV upsies where like she hangs up right as Piper picks up. But Piper has called dad um, upon Mari being taken. And so he shows up there. And Mari runs out and says, Mr. Dellums, and he says, I'll take care of it, which is really nice because he now clearly, you know, they just had this very powerful conversation a few scenes earlier. He really is looking at her like a a second daughter almost at this Mm -hmm. point. He is feeling very protective over her. Mm -hmm. And it's just this nice full circle thing where at the beginning of the movie, he wanted nothing to do with her. Yeah, it's it's very, very nice. And it's it's so interesting because they have a moment where he explains it away later when Piper's like, how did you do it? And uh, he says, I forget the exact line, but it was something to the effect of, I just simply explained to the, to the South African embassy, how it would look if yeah. I went and talked about somebody who was on an exchange program being taken from my house. Yeah, he uses the word kidnapped like yeah. that. That's, that's what he says. It's also important that while this is happening, 
Piper has a conversation with Daniel that puts her in a certain mindset that's going to be really important for the end of this movie because Daniel, uh, Mari is taken. Daniel comes to and talks to Piper and finds out Mari is taken. And Piper refers to her as like, she's my friend. I care about her. And Daniel's like, she's not your friend. She doesn't care about you. Did she ever invite you to come and stay at her place? Has she ever invited you to come and visit? You know, and then, and then he refers to, um, Stephen Biko and he says, he's dead. If you know about Stephen Biko, you should know he's dead. And how does your friend feel about that? And it forces Piper to sort of be introspective about her and Mari's relationship. And are they actually friends? Are they, is it a one way relationship? Like what, what really is, what does friendship look like in this moment? And it leads to a very, very rough conversation. One of many that they have that's represented here between Mari and Piper, where Piper, Piper comes in hot, first of all, and begins questioning Mari, asking, echoing a lot of the questions that Daniel asked her. And Mari immediately goes on the defensive in that moment and begins parroting what she heard in the embassy. And I think that's a normal reaction of somebody who's kind of coming in with that tone, right? Piper's coming in very hot and Mari throws up those walls and sort of reverts back to sort of her standard, standard sort of approach of what she had learned. Because again, it's been so very ingrained in her. She got, got re-exposed to it. And then that's what she reverts to ultimately running out of the house after this. Conflict. Yeah. I think this conversation's brutal to watch. Yeah. Like it, it's incredibly emotional. It's incredibly painful to watch. And, and it's, it's brutal because you're watching two girls who are both naive mm -hmm. in, in very different ways, right? You're watching Mari who is blinded by her upbringing, by her biases, by the decisions that her government has made, by what her parents has told her, right? She's blinded by the propaganda. And then you're watching Piper, who is, again, oversimplifying an incredibly complex issue. She's, she's asking Mari, can I come visit? Can I come stay? Not for a day, not for a week. Can I come for a month? Can I come on an exchange program? And Mari can't make that decision. You know, she, she's asking Mari, to make a sweeping decision that Mari can't make. And, and we're going to get that in a moment. And, and, and then taking that as a reflection of their friendship, which again is taking an incredibly complex nuanced issue and, and simplifying it. But that, of course that's what Piper would do. She's a 14 year old girl. And like, she's trying to stand up for herself and stand up for her family and stand up for what she believes in and doesn't see all of the aspects of, of like Mari's role in an incredibly complex um, geopolitical climate and, and all of the things, you know, it's, it is, there's just a ton of naivety that's, that's in this conversation and, and it results in, you know, just brutal, emotional yelling at each other and, and hurtful words. Mm -hmm. It sets the stage for Ron, the adult in this scenario to help come and help. This is what, what really got me is that you don't, you don't see him perform a lot of unpacking with Piper. You see him go to Mari and have mm -hmm. that have that conversation with Mari and help her unpack that because Mari says out loud, I can't invite Piper to my I can't invite her there. Mm -hmm. I wish I could I can't though. Like it's and this is Mari's way of grappling with the fact that this is bigger than just me. And it's a very again, that there's sort of like 
Ron and Mari relationship is on display here where Ron's like, listen, we're still, America's not perfect. We're still working through things. It's a complex issue. There's a lot going on. And it, it serves as he's trying to comfort her because he understands the enormity of the issues that she's facing where she might not be able to necessarily understand or articulate them. Well, this mm. to me is kind of Mari's learning has come to a head here because she's experienced all these things. She has grown up being taught a certain thing, but yet knowing that things like physical violence are wrong, but nothing has ever really impacted her this way till this conversation with Piper, which by the way, this is when Piper is like, Flora's not your friend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Mm, You know, this is, this is that conversation. And Mari's finally for the first time being impacted by uh, in a negative way, way by the racism of her country because Mm -hmm. before it didn't really affect her it all these things happened around her and she just lived in this culture and was very it didn't matter to her but now she can't invite her friend to come stay and she's finally realized the issues and obviously Mm -hmm. this is a very simplified 14 year old way to look at a huge complex issue but it is Mm -hmm. like mari finally gets it it's like this mm-hmm. is this is what it took for her to fully click to realize the weight of what's happening. Right. It's this comfort versus discomfort, right? She has been comfortable operating in an ecosystem because that's what she was familiar with and then and then it is jarred in a way that is personally impactful and she is uncomfortable and it is that that forces like her to reassess the entirety of her situation. And then she retells the Weaverbird story to Ron. I just want to, like, this is what I was saying earlier when I said I think that they really nailed that point that Molly brought up of, like, that recognition that your family, your parents, their values don't align with yours, that that their values aren't good values, you know, because she... She says, like, it's my family, it's my friends, it's my neighbors. Like, that's that's the problem, is that, like, Mm -hmm. they won't allow it, and... I don't want to speak for either of you all, but I know as somebody that grew up in the South, like, yeah, I, fuck man. Like, yeah, yeah. No, no, like yeah. that is, mm-hmm. that's, that shit's real. Like you grow up loving these people and, and I still love my family and you grow up with friends that you're close with that you love. And, and over time, sometimes what you realize is like, man, because of your upbringing, because of the environment you were raised in, because of a thousand different factors, like the way you see the world and the way I see the world could not be more different. And you have to grapple with that shit and it's hard. It's And and I thought that this point was so powerful because this girl at a young age has suddenly learned like a, a tough lesson, which is like, you may not agree with some of the people that you've held closest to you throughout your whole life and you have to hold them accountable. And that could mean any number of things, you know, that that could mean any number that could turn out in any number of ways, whether it is, Hey, my relationship is more important and we're just not going to talk about those things to like, I can't have a relationship with this person because of the things that they think and the things that they believe. And, and that's reprehensible to me. And it's so reprehensible that like, we can't have a relationship anymore. And, and I've been on every part of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. And, and so I thought that they nailed this section. I thought it was incredibly resonant again, as somebody that has grown up in a place that has a, a, a tough history 
with with racial policies and that has a lot of i mean when i go home i ex i experience a lot of that it, it's hard it's really hard and and i thought it was hit really well in this moment i've sort of adopted this approach of like i'm there are some things that I'm just not going to be quiet about with people. And that's going to make very situations, very uncomfortable. But like, I also know where I stand on things and I opening moments of my upbringing of like getting out of the South, traveling yep. the world, mm -hmm. traveling across the country, having friends that aren't, don't all look like yeah. you. Ha yeah, I exactly. think that's a, right. Like, you know, I, I mean, that aren't, that weren't raised the same way that have different values that, you know, all kinds of versions of that. It was, let me just, uh, here's like your personal anecdote, right? When I, again, I was born in Alabama, moved around a lot. When I, the high school I graduated from, I think when I graduated from it had, you know, dozens and dozens of countries represented because it wasn't it was a hub for exchange students mm. so you'd go there and it was like that i was a junior in high school when i went there and i remember like what well, it was because it's right outside of dc so when people send mm. their their exchange students to dc like they're like they're gonna put you here i'll, I'll never forget the the sort of like dissonance in my head as a junior in high school, being like, I'm going to uncover blind spots forever and I just have to be okay with it. You have you have two options, right? One is you clam up and you become very insular, or two is you go, Tell me what I tell me what I need to know. Yeah. Because I'd rather know and be educated than be insular and ignorant. There's definitely two things that I'm incredibly grateful for because I did grow up in the South. My family's not southern, but my family is from the Midwest, which is might as well be the South in, <laughs> in certain aspects related to this, you know, small towns in the Midwest. But mm -hmm. um, one, I am very grateful that I went to, I went to a very small liberal private school where while all of the students and their parents were not liberal, in fact, many quite the opposite, we learned a lot of things. Like I, like I said, we watched this movie. We had very we had pride celebrations. We had, you know, at the holiday program, it was not just Christmas. It was also mm. Kwanzaa and it was also Hanukkah. So I was educated at a, a higher level growing up to know all these things. And then I went to Clemson, which is a big, huge public Southern university. And it slapped, like the words people used slapped me in the face pretty mm. hard because the slang and the slurs that people used very casually would not have been accepted at my high school. Oh. So that was a little bit of a culture shock. But what I think, and I feel confident to say this for all of us, but I think a big eye-opener for me was Disney. Oh. Mm. Was going and doing a college program where, I mean, on my college program alone, I had I met people from all over the world. I met people from all over the United States. I met people from all different backgrounds, different cultures. And like we always say, like this is where I met a lot of my best friends. And I wouldn't have met those people had it not been for going to Disney and doing this program um, that we all did. So I'm forever grateful to Disney for that. Because a lot of my friends from high school and from college, their circles still look the same. Their circles of, of friends and their spheres and what they're doing in life still looks very similar and i think because i went to disney this big like melting pot of people it expanded my horizons a lot yeah it gave you the opportunity to listen and learn and and seek out knowledge i i think that we all need to have that personal onus to like educate ourselves and to 
seek out the things that we don't understand and, and actively go against these values that maybe you've been raised with or be introspective about the biases that we have because of the environments we were raised in. But I think that being immersed in an environment like, like Disney gets you at a, for all of us at a fairly young age to start asking those questions and to start recognizing to your point, Alan, it can be hard to seek out that information to research and to find out if you don't know where your blind spots are. And I think you're right, Molly, in that like Disney was such an opportunity to be exposed to so many people of different backgrounds, of of different value sets that come from different places, that have different experiences that you can go, oh, I, I don't know what that is. And like, go read about it, go find out, like, don't burden that person <laughs> with, mm -hmm. with explaining it to you, like go do the work and like educate yourself and, and learn and challenge the way that you were brought up. Because man, I was, I was brought up with some shit that I, I'm working through every day, man. Like, and it's, it's, it's in there deep and we gotta, we gotta, we gotta do the work and there has to be personal onus on that shit. And so anyway, mm -hmm. I, it's a long way around of me just saying, like, I think that that line from Mari, this in, in interaction from Mari of her recognition that, like, I want Piper to come, but the people that I hold closest to me would not allow that to happen. And I disagree with that was really powerful. And then what really sort of brought it home because it, a good, beautiful writing was her telling the Weaver story because it shows she's having this aha moment of, the people who are closest to me, my family, are not accepting. And she immediately, I, I have to imagine the, the logic behind this line is she immediately thinks of Flora. And when she thinks of Flora, she thinks of the Weaverbird story, the thing that she had written off very early on in this. In this we, we see her write it off. Mm -hmm. Now it makes sense. The aha happens and she shares that story with Ron. And Piper. Piper's and Piper. come around by yeah, now. Yeah, Piper's there too now, yeah. Which is, which is such a, I think that's such a beautiful sort of full circle. And then you have... Of course, Ron taking that to uh, to a political. It's a rally that he's hosting. It's a, no, it's a celebration. No, it's celebration the, of, uh, It's like a fair. Yeah, Mar it's a celebration. Uh, it's a celebration. An African um, fair because he talks about it earlier and he says, "I forget the number, but a certain number of delegates are going to be there from all different African mm -hmm. nations." And he shares the Weaver story there. He shares that after after having a. I'm not going to dive into the beautiful nature of the speech that he provides where he talks about people wanting a certain set of freedoms and it's just very very well spoken he then talks and shares the weaver story another important thing that happens we didn't mention the beginning of this uh small plot point but it's gonna come around again in just a moment but very early on in fact before mari even leaves south africa at the very beginning her younger brother has a flag and he found it in the street and he's playing with it because he's a little kid that found something in the street. And Mari grabs the flag from him and she says, what are you doing with that? And he says, I found it. I'm playing with it. And she says, dad will be so mad at you if you have that flag. It's the flag of the black troublemakers. And Flora takes the flag and rolls it up and like tucks it into her apron so that dad doesn't see it. Yeah, the South African Native National Congress. Exactly, because now at this event daniel is passing out this flag to people to wave in in the celebration of this event and he runs out and he he only has his left and he gives it to mari and it's just yet another i'm gonna say we're at a three-quarter circle moment because we're gonna we're gonna go all the way around by the end of this movie um moment where 
again at the beginning she yells at her brother for having that flag and refers to it as the black troublemakers flag and now here she is waving it at this uh african celebration uh where congressman uh delms is telling the weaver bird story support solidarity and equity right like that's the biggest thing that she's sort of bringing bringing it around to and then she has to say goodbye to the delms family they all take her to the airport she says goodbye to the entire uh delms family and heads back to south africa where picked up by her family they what's super important about this and this is my takeaway and i'm curious as to your thoughts they, they don't really show her interact with her family at all. In fact, I don't know if she delivers a line to her immediate family. I don't think they, we even see them. Do they, we? Get out of the, they get out of the car together with her when they pull up into the house, and the dad and mom shout at Mari as she runs away and doesn't acknowledge them, but runs to Flora. And then she hugs Flora. She's so excited to see Flora. It's very sweet. And she's wearing a vest, and she opens up her vest to show her that inside she has sewn the flag. Mm -hmm. And this is when I cried because it was such a full circle moment. And Flora is shocked and hugs her. And it's such a sweet moment. And it's such a, they didn't need words. They didn't need anything other than Mari showing Flora that she supports her and that she Mm -hmm. loves her. And it's, it, it was a, perfect point on this very long story right and the film ends with mari running getting the caged weaver bird that her brother had captured and taking it outside and letting it fly away beautiful beautiful image there i will say that it, the pause on the weaver bird flying away did remind me <laughs> a little bit of the harry potter prison yeah it was a little fireball it was a little fire yeah i didn't love that uh that freeze frame on the just flown yeah, okay. fade, fade to black, man. Just like, like, let the, the bird fly and fade to black. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, but I, I, the imagery is beautiful, and I understand the allegory. Beautiful, uh, and that's when you, it does eventually fade to black, and we get the uh, we get the text on the screen saying, you know, based on a true story, it talks about the work that Congressman Dellums does. It also talks about Mari kind of taking up her role as an activist. Um, in do, you, the, do you know that? She, well, her name was Carrie, actually, in real life. Her dad was a judge, not a cop in real life. I looked this Mm. up and she was killed for being an activist. Mm. Well, they think Uh, what I read was that she kept in close contact with the Dellums family for the rest of her life. And at one point she was captured and jailed for her activism. And she reached out to, to the Dellums and they stayed in contact for a while. And then all of a sudden it went radio silent and they could never figure out what happened, but it's strongly suspected that she was killed. Mm. Oof. That's oof. So yeah, that is one very heavy and two, the color of friendship. There it is. There it is. So I have to ask, uh, this is a very unique film it is unique and all the decoms that we have watched and i suspect those that we will watch going forward what are your thoughts and ratings on this movie i wrote that i think this movie's a 10 i think Mm. i don't know that i'm gonna enjoy watching another decom this much and enjoy is not the right word because it's like wasn't fun it wasn't a laughing and enjoy it's not high school musical which i'm also going to rate very high for very different reasons yeah but i first of all i think this is a genuinely good movie 
Like, mm. not a good decom. I think this is actually a good movie. I think the acting was well done. I think they got a lot of plot in at a very good pace. And um, I thought it all made sense. I thought they layered it very well. They peppered in what you needed to know. And like we talked about, there were very various levels of understanding. I understand this plot a lot more now in my 30s mm-hmm. than I did, you know, in my preteen years. Um, and I think, I think what this movie can do is a big deal. And I think it's a huge deal that they put this on the Disney channel in the year 2000. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's a 10, honestly, I don't think we're going to see a better movie. I think we're going to laugh more and have more fun, but I don't know that we're going to get an actually better movie. Mm -hmm. I almost hesitate to put it on a scale with other DCOMs because it does, it doesn't fit the mold of what they have established as the, what DCOMs are intended to be. This is, this is a period piece. It is intended to be educational. It is very much like the entire purpose of this is to spark a conversation amongst a family about an uncomfortable issue and it's representation, not only representation of the, of the time period, right? Of, 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 of apartheid, but also manifestation of racial tensions today that it was that is the intent of this is to spark those conversations so i hesitate to put it on a scale with other decoms because i feel as if it exists in it in its own its own ecosystem but it, i mean if i have to put it on rating, I, I will fully agree that i'm going to put it up as a, as a 10 out of 10 this is it does something very well it is layered it is nuanced do i necessarily love that america is idealized in this as much mm. as it is in the instances where it is, no. I think that it could, the, the film would have been, and maybe that's me looking at it with 2022 lenses, right? Uh, that, that very well could be the, why I feel this way. But through 2022 lenses, I think idealizing America in ways where, where it shouldn't be made it a little bit unrealistic in those points. I understand why it was done. It was intended to create a contrast between America and South Africa. When we're trying to shine a mirror on the apartheid movement. Um, but I don't want it. What I fear happens is that it glosses over the very real problems that we still face in this mm-hmm. country by glossing over it, mm-hmm. especially in the time period where this movie is set. That said, though, for what it intends to do, I think it's incredibly well done. And I also I, I will echo your sentiment of being a, a, a solid 10. Uh, you I, I'll, I'll echo your sentiment, Alan, which is that, like I said, that my one main critique of this film is that I think that. Yeah, the the way they portray America in the '70s is is pretty wild, mm-hmm. um, particularly for a period piece. And while I understand it's meant to mirror apartheid, I, I think that I think that there's there was an opportunity. Maybe the movie would have had to been written differently, mm-hmm. but I think there was an opportunity to say like, "Hey, we went through the same things you're going through." You know that that maybe you don't need a mirror, but to say like we also struggled with those things and this is how that hurt people in America. And this is what that looks like. And this is the work we had to put in and this is the path forward. And like, you know, these are all the people that work to make change and, and all those things, right. Rather than like America is a place where that doesn't happen. And it's, and it's a joke that a, a shopkeeper could possibly not want somebody's money. Like that's laughable, right? Mm-hmm. Because capitalism uh, is, is ultimately what runs America. But I mean, listen, I generally, I agree. I both agree that like, I think it's tough for us to like rate this film against DCOMs when it is 
unlike every decom, the fact that we're about to do Alley Cat Strike, yeah, uh, yeah. what a, is what a is right? crazy. But it, but it would be it would be disingenuous for me to say that I think that this film isn't um, the best decom we've watched in terms of quality of acting, in terms of quality of writing, in terms of how effective it was in hitting its beats. I think that it is critically the best decom we've watched. And so if I'm looking at it critically, I think it's a 10. I don't think it's the most fun decom to watch. No. I don't think that Mm -mm. I, I don't know that I'd want to watch it again. Um, But I think that critically speaking, it's unquestionably the best decom that we have watched. And uh, it would be disingenuous for me not to give it a 10. No, agreed completely. It is often echoed in what I see for the ratings and reviews that people have given it. And if you look at user reviews, so folks like, you know, us very, very not professional movie reviewers, <laughs> uh, it's, it's very highly rated. You've got eight to tens across the board. Right. And then if you look at the sort of critical reviews, all of them come in with the same messaging of going, this is so different. This exists outside of the normal pantheon of DCOMs. It should stand on its own. Well, like it, there's a lot of sort of like congratulating it and sort of backslapping on this for having it like good on you, Disney, for, for sparking a conversation. Uh, I will read one of the reviews that they have. It's not your typical decom is the title of this. And I think we can all agree. Uh, it's decoms are generally feel good, wholesome teen movies. But I do tend to think of them being wrapped in a teen bubble. This movie is decidedly not in a bubble, even if it is wholesome to an extent. It also is very obviously educational because characters would have to launch into expositions to try to explain things that are difficult to explain, like the apartheid. In trying to depict the situation in South Africa, the movie almost seemed to idealize America. Let's see what we see. But it would take stock. It would sort of take stock of that now and again. But really what stands out about this movie is watching the white daughter of a South African policeman coming to America and finding out her host family is black and seeing the reaction and growth. Well, as you said, up next in just a massive tone switch, Alley Cat Strike. I'm very excited about Alley Cat Strike. I am too. I, I like Alley Cat Strike. I'm very there are, excited to watch There it. are not, oh, I think that there's not a lot of DCOMs left that I've watched. Um, I think we've gotten through most of the ones that I grew up with, but this one has always been high on my list. Oh, I'm excited. We're going to Appleton. And Is it because of Kaylee Cuoco? Uh, no, although I do enjoy that she's in it. Uh, no, I just, I remember viscerally watching this movie for the first time and specifically the 710 split scene and thinking to myself, could I do that? Is that (laughs) real? (laughs) So yeah, I'm, I'm hyped. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review the podcast. It really does help us very much. Follow us on all of our socials. And thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week for Alley Cat Strike. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.